the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Take your Bibles, if you would, now and open it to Psalm 51. We're actually going to go to two different passages of Scripture. Uh, Both of them are going to be in Psalms. So Psalm 51, and then you'll also want to find your way to Psalm 32. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Scripture says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Let's pray. I'll bow our heads and pray and ask God to bless this time. Lord, we come to you right now. We thank you so much for your word. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do what I cannot do. And that is to truly transform hearts and minds and lives. Lord, I just want to be your servant, your uh, uh, vessel. And I ask that you would do a great work amongst us. And may your Holy Spirit... Do such a work, such a transforming work, that when we leave this place, we are totally different than when we first arrived. Father, let your word go forth with power and um, uh, work in our minds, work in our hearts, work in our spirits. Transform us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. If you are in Psalm 51. I don't know what it's like in your Bible, but in my Bible, right above verse number one, there's a little bit of a a background behind this psalm. It says in my Bible, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And you might be familiar with the account of why this psalm was written. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 27, uh, it talks about uh, what happened that precipitated the writing of this psalm. And it was about the springtime when kings went out into battle. Instead of going out to fight and be active, David, the Bible says, tarried still in Jerusalem. He should have been out there uh, in battle. He was idle in battle when he should have been involved in a battle. There's a principle we can learn here. Idleness makes one susceptible to the enticements of sin. It has been said, idleness is the devil's playground. The Bible goes on to tell us in 2 Samuel 
uh, chapter 11, that one late afternoon, David rose up in the, in the uh, uh, office bed because he was being basically lazy. He rose up later on during the day and he walked out onto his, his balcony and he saw a beautiful woman bathing herself, which was a common thing in back, back in the day because that's where they had their uh, places to bathe. Well, to make the story short, when David inquired of this woman, God gave a way out. David did not have to give in to his temptations. Every single time that David asked about the woman or something happened, God always gave an opportunity for him to escape giving in to the temptation. Uh, when he asked about the, the woman, he was told, that is the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, one of your servants. David should have known right there. Well, number one, she's married, number two, to one of my greatest soldiers. I shouldn't betray him, but he still did it. And it goes on to say that uh, she became with child and she confronted David about it. That was another time for him to get his heart right. His conscience should have pricked him enough that he, sh he should have gotten things taken care of, but he didn't. Instead, he tried to cover up his sin. And he brought back Uriah uh, from the battlefield and wanted Uriah to spend time with his wife and have, you know, the normal marital relations to cover up his sin. But Uriah was such a man of character that instead of going back to his wife, he stayed in the uh, king's cha uh, chambers with the soldiers because he thought, why should I go and, and have um, uh, time with my, my wife when my soldiers are in battle? This happened twice. Each time, David could have gotten his heart right. Each time his conscience was pricked, but he didn't do anything about it. Instead, he continued to manipulate the situation. He had Joab brought back from the battle, and he said, Joab, I want you to take Uriah and put him in the hottest uh, battle, and when it gets really hot, pull back. And uh, then Joab did that, and Uriah died. The, the news came that uh, he was killed, and Joab was, was um, saddened. And David said, oh, no, you know what? That just happens in battle, so don't worry about it. It just, that's how things go. And it wasn't until Nathan came to David with a story, a parable, if you will, and you may have been maybe familiar with it, about the man with a lot of sheep and another man, his neighbor, with only one ewe lamb. And that neighbor loved the ewe lamb so much it was like family. Well, the neighbor with a lot of sheep had a guest come over. Instead of using one of his own sheep, he took the ewe lamb and slayed the ewe lamb. And David was angered by that. And he said, whoever did this needs to restore fourfold. And Nathan said, thou art the man. You remember that account? This is why this psalm was written. Because of David's sin that should have been dealt with, but he never did it until Nathan confronted him. That whole time, it took about a, a, a year's time, David's conscience did deal with him for a little bit, but he responded the wrong way. And then when he penned Psalm 32, is the very same thing. 
And there are several lessons we can learn from this account of David. We can learn not to be idle, but to be involved. We ought to be serving. We ought not to be inactive, but to be proactive. And we can also learn that anytime temptation is brought our way, God always makes a way out. God wants to use us. God wants us to be ready for every good work. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from, from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet. That means ready, fit, for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. God wants to use us to be useful vessels for his great work. But we are either a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor. And our conscience knows which one we are. Are you a vessel unto honor or a vessel unto dishonor? Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who penned a good portion of the Psalms. He offered sacrifices regularly. Yet his ministry was stained because of a moment of weakness. And for nearly a year, he was a vessel unto dishonor. Because the Bible tells us that what David had done displeased the Lord in 2 Samuel. If we're going to be a vessel, meet for the master's use, we need to check our conscience. You say, well, pastor, I've grown up in church. I don't commit sins of overtness out loud in public. No, you may not, but you may be guilty of sins of omission rather than overtness. James 4.17 says, Therefore him, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin isn't limited to wrongful activity, but also extends to inactivity, to that which is spiritually right. Most of you know that you ought to be reading your Bibles every day. You know that you should have an effectual, fervent prayer life. You know that you ought to be busy sharing the gospel. You know you ought to be committed to church, serving in church. But some are more involved in Facebook than they are in the faith book. Some are more, spend more time perusing their phone than they do praying. Some spend more time in social media or sports rather than soul winning. To him that know to do good and to doeth it not, what? It is sin. How's your conscience doing now? Each one of us has a conscience inside of us. A conscience is a sick, secret act, an impure thought, a, a wicked attitude that can go undetected by others, but it will eat away at your soul and your peace with God until one day you will end up distant from God and your life is hollow like a sponge and you have no substance as a Christian. Today I'd like to preach to you a message on how to deal with your conscience. First thing I want us to see is the definition of your conscience. The definition of your conscience. In Psalm 51 and verse number 3, look there if you would. Psalm 51 verse number 3, David said, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He was saying, I recognize that I have committed something against God. I have overstepped the boundary of what God deems legitimate. And he said, and my sin 
is always in front of me, ever before me. The conscience can be defined as with knowledge or knowledge within, con with science, knowledge. A proper definition is a moral judgment that prohibits or opposes the violation of a previously recognized ethical principle. The conscience is a built-in warning system that will tell us whether or not we have stepped over the boundary of obedience to God. And your conscience will do one of two things. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. So with that, we see, number one, that our conscience will accuse us of an act. It will accuse us of an act. It will show us the secret sins that we have been holding on to. 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah, and he tried to cover it up. And in verse number 3 of Psalm 51, he said, My sin is always in front of me. I acknowledge it. And it's ever before me. His conscience was in front of him. Others did not know, but he knew and God knew. And if we all have overstepped the boundaries against God, it will, all, it will ever be in front of us. We know it, although others may not. You may have said some malicious things about someone, gossiped, been angry, been bitter, watched something you should have watched, said something you should not have said, or you have an aunt with someone and you are starting to get bitter and angry more and more every day, that's your conscience working at you. 1 Corinthians 8, verse number 12 says, But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. The name of the whisper in our minds and soul. Is called the conscience. A wise man said, There's no witness so terrible, no accuser so powerful as the conscience. How's your conscience? Is it accusing you of an act? An act of commission or an act of omission? Not only will it accuse you, but secondly, our conscience can excuse you of an act. Our conscience can excuse you of an act. Romans chapter 9 verse 1 says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. And we also saw in Romans 2.15 that it will, it will excuse or else excuse. Our conscience is like being a, in a court of law where you have two lawyers present, a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney. The prosecuting attorney is the excuser, uh, accuser, and the defense attorney is the excuser. And when you enter into a moral act where you make a decision to do what's right or what's wrong, one of the two lawyers will begin their work, and, you will, and if you have done nothing wrong, then you have the excuser or defender saying, you're right here, you are right where you need to be. I've had a car before, maybe you have one now, where sometimes that warning light comes on that says there's something wrong with the airbags. And it's a warning that indicated there's a flaw in the system. 
But I would drive that vehicle for a while with that same light coming on and staying on. Now, there's a measure of tolerance with that because you can make a kind of a value judgment as to how important that warning is. Should I get it fixed or should I risk it? But when it comes to the area of sin and obedience to Christ in our spiritual lives, we can't afford to ignore any warning indicators of the dashboard of our soul. When the Holy Spirit turns on that check engine light, it's time to check the engine. So number one, the, the definition of the conscience. Number two, I want you to see the defiling of your conscience. The defiling of your conscience. The definition is our sin is ever before us. Verse number four of Psalm 51, it says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Titus chapter one, verse 15 tells us, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. We may have knowledge of an act that no one else knows, but you and God, maybe another person, but if you ignore the warning of your conscience, it will defile you. David knew he had sinned against God, and he was without excuse. And verse number four, God spoke to his heart because he said, against thee and thee only, I have committed this sin against God. It was God, God was justified in convicting him and God was clear when the judgment was upon his heart. And when David's conscience was defiled, it affected him greatly. If you go to Psalm 32, go back a couple of Psalms to Psalm 32, verses 1 through 3. David said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom he the, the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. And then verse 4 says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned unto the drought of summer, Selah. <clears throat> when he harbored the sin, which so defiled his conscience, he kept it to himself, and it affected him greatly, physically. The Bible says, first of all, his bones waxed old. That means he felt like, uh, like an old person. He was probably in his mid-40s at this time. And he, his, his bones felt like they were, they were in pain. Through my roaring... That phrase means that his conscience was constantly, continually living the vexation of soul and horrors of God's wrath in his mind, as if something was roaring in his mind every day. It was because his conscience was, was uh, uh, accu accusing him. <clears throat> when you know that you've been disobedient, it will affect you physically. Number two, it will affect you mentally. Verse 4, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned unto the drought of summer. Day and night, he couldn't tell the difference. His night was turned to day and his day was like the night. He couldn't sleep at night. He couldn't stay awake during the day. He had a hard time uh, because his, his um, conscience was, was 
affecting him so much, it was constantly fermenting inside him. And when he says in verse 4 that his moisture is turned to the drought of summer, his unconfessed sin like a fierce poison dried up the fountain of his strength and made him like a, a tree blasted by lightning or a plant withered by the scorching heat of a tropical sun and his throat was dry, his tongue was parched. If we continue to live with a defiled conscience, we won't be able to sleep well, our food will taste bland, our drink will seem dry, and we'll be sapped of joy. And sadly, people continue to live this way and get to the point where their conscience is seared and they end up dropping out on God altogether. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. There's nothing more uplifting, nothing more exciting, nothing more comforting than living joyfully with a pure conscience toward God. And our conscience will warn us as a friend before it will punish us as a judge. How's your conscience now? And then thirdly, in salvation we are restored afresh for a good conscience, trusting that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away our sins. Number one, how a pure conscience is made possible only through the blood of Christ. Number two, I want you to see how a pure conscience is maintained. That's how we develop it. Acts 24, verse number 16, the Bible says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. If you want to live a life that is void of offense toward God and toward men, a good conscience, number one, is maintained by confession of sin right away. A confession of sin right away. Going back to Psalm 51, verse number 6, the Bible says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. This confession is twofold. Number one, the confession must be made to God. David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. And I know many of us are familiar with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we should keep a short account of sin before God. Number two. Pure conscience is maintained if we confess our sin to anyone to whom we have offended. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Not only should we keep a short account of sin before God, but we should also keep a short account of sin before people. If we have offended them, we should get these things right, right away. There may even be a time when you may not have an issue with someone, but someone has an issue with you, and, you're, you're, and if you're aware of it, you cannot be right with God until you reconcile with that individual. 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. That's your conscience working. You remember that that person has a problem with you. It says, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Developing a clear conscience void of offense toward God and man means that if you've wronged God and man, it will drive you to seek reconciliation. To seek forgiveness and restitution with them and pursue peace with God and that person. How long do you get, how well do you get along with people? How well do you get along with maybe a family member that's at aught with you? Have you tried to reconcile? How about a coworker? A good conscience is maintained by confession of sin to God and to man. Number two. In developing your conscience, a good conscience is maintained by godly conduct with sincerity. Godly conduct with sincerity. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Doing what is right with all sincerity develops the conscience. And then thirdly, I want you to understand that a good conscience is maintained by a commitment to serve. By a commitment to serve. Note that failure to do what we know is right is sinful. We already quoted James 4, 17, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. If you know what is right, a good conscience is maintained by being committed to that which is right, to serve God. I like the psalmist who wrote, I mean the hymn writer, excuse me, who wrote, Nothing between my soul and my Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine, there's nothing between. Nothing between like worldly pleasure, habits of life, though harmless they seem. Must not my heart from him ever sever? He is my all, there's nothing between. Before you go out into the world, before you leave this building today, are you meet for the Master's use? You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.